0: Hey there, and welcome back to the Will and Rob Show. It is, uh, it's great to be back. We had a nice, long, luxurious, week-long summer break uh, last week, so we thank you for being patient with us. Uh, Will was on the road. He was traveling. Uh, I was busy starting fall classes and trying to get everything prepared for that, so it was nice to have a short break, but it's very good to be back. Will, it's good to see you again. Yeah, great to
1: see you also, and uh, happy birthday Oh, thank you. You didn't have to mention that. No, and you should have mentioned it because I had to find out about it via social media.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which, which I, uh, is not right. I mean, I don't know. Are you a big are you a big birthday celebrator?
1: I do not like telling people it's my birthday. If people know it's my birthday and they want to say something, that's fine. But I this came up with a conversation recently actually with some other people. I just I'm not one to promote it myself. You?
0: I mean, I'm not a huge birthday guy. It used to be that I had a best buddy that lived here and we shared a birthday. Mm. And so that was fun. Like, but, uh, he has since moved away. And so it's just me back here. And yeah, I don't know. It was one of those days. It was a, it was a good birthday. Um, I'm 28 years old, which kind of feels crazy. Although I'm still just going to keep saying that I'm in my twenties. I'm just going to keep living that out. Uh, as long as I can. That's true.
1: I found twenty-nine to be one of the better years because I for some reason kept thinking that I was thirty. And then we remember that I'm actually 29. So 29 almost felt like a bonus year.
0: Oh nice. Like, yeah. If you do it
1: right, if you do it right, it can feel like a bonus year.
0: I like that. I like that. Um, but yeah, so you know, we took a week off. Obviously there are lots of current events going on uh in the country. There's uh, we covered the DNC convention on our podcast. Since then, the RNC convention has happened. We actually didn't record an episode about that. Um, all the other things going on, too. But I think today, you know, you and I both were texting back and forth over the last couple of weeks and just sort of feeling uh, weary of everything going on and just the overwhelming wave of politics in our news feeds and our Twitter accounts and our, I think. One thing that we've noticed uh, has been the way that uh, as politics seems to dominate the conversation, there's less attention towards issues of the church, issues of discipleship, and um, things that we obviously care a lot about uh, as ministry associates with Ministry to State. So I think today we really wanted to take a break from the politics. And really address kind of what, what we see going on um, in current conversations about the church, how it's responding to the pandemic and being online and not meeting in person. And so, I, well, I don't know how, how it is for y'all. I mean, we're in sort of a hybrid model of church where some of us meet in person, but most of us are still online. Uh, we've had family come and visit us. And so we haven't felt comfortable actually going in person since we've been you know exposed to different people from different places. Um, So the last month or so has been fully online for us. And it it definitely is getting to the point of feeling, you know, when is this going to end? I don't know how it's been for you.
1: I feel very similarly. I'm, I'm eager for things to get back in person. I, when I was visiting some friends, uh, they were talking to me about meeting online and what they thought were going to be some long-term implications of that for the church Grace downtown here in D.C. where I go is not meeting in person yet. Complicated situation in that we share a building with another church. And so we're kind of dependent upon them and their decisions and uh, how things are going to go. But yes, uh, I think one of the interesting things that we're seeing right now is that you have churches that were already set up for online meeting that have continued to meet online. They, they, They had this kind of infrastructure set up and in place. And then you have churches that didn't have that, that that weren't meeting online, that weren't prepared for that and then had to switch, but now they do have that infrastructure in place and they've kind of adjusted and constructed their service in such a way that it can be packaged and sent online, which is necessary for this time. However, with such attention and time given to this, it has created a space where I think some people feel like, this is what the church wants me to do right now, which is true, the question is, when things do reopen again, are people going to make the pivot back to meeting in person, which is what we want to happen, which I think is necessary and essential. I think it is so important for us to understand that this meeting online is is not just for convenience. It's not just some kind of, hey, we're going to try something new here. It is an essential way for us to meet in person. And so that reminder needs to be given to the congregation so that when in-person is available again, that more easily happens.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've seen some different reports, some different studies that are, that are going around. I mean, everyone obviously has been uh, within ministry and, and church circles, obviously has been concerned with the long-term effects the pandemic will have on church membership and church attendance in the future. Uh, I've seen some studies of saying that the church should expect to lose, what, a third? sometimes more than that. Uh, you
1: see that Carl Truman article and the number that he said he'd been seeing was 30%. Three out of 10 church goers are not going to return to church in person. and will stay online.
0: Yeah. And I think that there had been some different responses to that, stu- you know, these, these studies and these predictions, um, you know, sometimes you see some of the more dour, you know, stuff the you know this is the end of in person church you know the church is going to go through a really dark period where there's going to be very very low attendance very low membership you see a lot of other interesting takes highlighting that actually that this this pandemic is good because it it will force churches to reevaluate and reassess how they do worship um how they do meeting in person i guess i'm curious for you to ask you what do you think the different responses reveal about how people view the church and actually even just the way that it assembles?
1: Right. When we were talking, you asked, you know, how did I view church growing up? What did I think of the church service as a kid? And I think in a lot of ways, I assumed that the church service was kind of like the Christian version of a speech that was given every Sunday. Yes, there was worship music. Uh, Yes, there was tithing. Yes, there was the Lord's Supper. There was communion. Yes, it was on Sunday, but it was on Sunday mostly because that was the most convenient day of the week for it to happen. Uh, Saturday was play day, and so Sunday was uh, the day right before work, so it kind of got everything oriented for the following week. I mean, none of that was explicitly told to me. I think just as a kid trying to figure out why do we do what we do, I think those were the poor but best answers i could come up with at the time Uh, and i think that this concept of the church service being a christian pep talk uh, being a christian ted talk being a how to being something that happens because it fosters community like at its deepest is pretty ubiquitous i would say like it seems just spread deep and wide particularly in our American context of what church is, that it is a once a week time where people who call themselves Christians get together to see each other and talk to each other and hear a sermon that gets them to believe the same things, but the real life change happens in the community groups and in their neighborhoods and that kind of thing with a very significant downplaying of the Sunday worship service. And I think with that downplaying comes this proliferation of different types of worship services where you have the more concert style, you have the, very, you have the emergent style, you have the marketing of church, um, you have the quote-unquote contemporary approach to a worship style, which is kind of a misnomer, I think, because what it assumes about the more traditionally liturgical services, and I don't mean the hipster liturgical services that are happening because I think there's also a very shallow form of liturgical service that is going on right now. And so I, I, think, I think all of these things are playing together into a complicated cocktail for where we are and why people think the way they do about church.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to me that as I assess the different sorts of church services that I have I've experienced in my, my life, I went to a very conservative, traditional, um, liturgical, Presbyterian church. And so, I mean, I had certainly assumptions about what the church service was that I don't think are too far off from what I believe still to this day. Um, In that sense, it was very good in that way. And at the same time, growing up in the Bible Belt of Texas, I would have friends that would invite me to all kinds of different services and different youth events and things like that. And those were so different than what I experienced on Sundays in my church, um I really was confronted with the idea of the church as a concert or the church as essentially a glorified TED talk. and what I think I didn't really quite understand as I was when I was young, but I've grown to now realize as I hear people still talk about those things and how they're transitioning those from in-person to online is that essentially it's, it's treated as from the perspective of a consumer as what is the best product that we can deliver to our paying customers? You know, if we're going to, if they're going to have a cynical view towards tithing. Um, And that,
1: that idea comes across even, I think in the language of how do you do church?
0: Exactly. Yes. Right.
1: How do you do church kind of implies that there are, An infinite variety of ways to do church. Now, insofar as there are cultural differences that are circumstantial and not essential to the worship service, there are varieties of ways. But if we believe that Scripture is what it is and that God has given it as a book for his people that forms them and shapes them, then we, we're we going to have some serious limitations, I think, on what a worship service is. And we don't do church as much as we are shown what it is and then seek to be faithful to how God has revealed that practice to us.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, and so it's been interesting based on sort of which perspective you come at at church, you're going to have a much different reaction or plan for moving a church online because um, if you come from the sort of more consumer mindset, I mean, you're sort of tasked with this immense problem of how do you deliver a product of similar quality via online? And so there's going to be a massive obsession about quality and uh, you know sound quality, visual quality. How can you keep people entertained in front of a screen for so long? Whereas churches that are, are coming from more of a you know scriptural understanding of what the church is and what, how it's been revealed to us. I think are thinking, well, I mean, maybe I don't know. What do you think their concerns are as they move to an online church? Because I know it's different, but I'm not quite sure I can articulate it right now. Like, what are the what are the concerns for somebody like that? Like, I know one concern our church has had has been like, well, how do we administer sacraments via online? That te- that seems to be a unique issue to people of a certain persuasion about church?
1: Yes, I think the people who have what we would call a regulative principle of worship.
0: Um, either, Expl- wait, explain that. Uh,
1: the regulative principle of worship basically says to some degree or another that there uh, scripture has revealed what is permitted to take place in the corporate worship service and that we are not allowed to just choose freewheeling what we want to have in the worship service, but that God has instructed us and shown us through his word, what is and is not permitted to happen in worship. It basically says that anything that is not expressly permitted in in, in a more extreme form in scripture is not allowed to take place. So people who hold to that term, whether they would use it or not, you know, Capitol Hill Baptist up here is is a great example of this, where they have such a strong conviction on what the church is as the gathering of God's people taking place in sermon that they didn't even do any online sermons for hmm. their congregation because they believed that a sermon is only a sermon if it happens in person with God's people gathered together. And I think, to some extent, there's very real um, merit to that in in the sense that when possible that we are God's people who have been called out and called together to gather in his presence where God reveals himself to us and we receive and respond to what he has done for us. And I think that those who um, are concerned and believe that there is some regulative principle to worship ought to be very adamant and insistent and communicative to their congregation that as soon as things get back to normal, that meeting, together in person is essential and i don't think that it just needs to be said that we have to do this because i think people in our cynical age are very suspicious of that i think that they'll quickly say well you just want your numbers up or which isn't true there's a there's a biblical reasoning for why this is the case there's a biblical understanding of what a church service is that is not simply a, a sanctified ted talk and i think we go we go all the way back to exodus 19 which is where i wanted us to to focus here and we see that the pattern of exodus of god calling his people out of slavery taking them to the red sea gathering them together at mount sinai calling them there giving his law they make their promise to him and then they go out so there's this pattern that that's a very very simplified version of Exodus, but that is a large part of what it is that there is a ceremony that takes place of God giving his covenant, making a covenant people, calling them to himself, them responding to him, and them going out. That act that took place in Mount Sinai is repeated every Sunday when God's people gather together. The Sunday worship service is a covenant ceremony, it is a covenanting ceremony where we are reminded that we are God's people and that he is our God who has called us to himself. And as it happened in Exodus corporately, they were called to gather together. So it must happen with us together corporately in person. And for me, at least, when I remember that and understand that the worship service is that, and mind you, to take it to the reformers, they were insistent that the worship service was an interactive process in so much as the people who were sitting in the worship service were to be paying attention and responding to what was going on it was not consumerist it was not something that you just took it was something that was interacted and engaged with yes they were fed and nourished but it wasn't just you know make me happy and make me feel good there was an understanding that there was a duty there was the indicative of here's who you are and the imperative is here's who i must be i think that kind of articulation that kind of reminder will be helpful for people going
0: forward yeah you're basing it in exodus i'm I'm mindful of something I read about the Exodus account and that we tend to sort of limit the implications of what the Exodus was for the Israelite community. And so that the Exodus wasn't just a uh, freedom uh, from their uh, oppressors, the the Egyptians, uh, you know, as slaves, but it was also a freedom from their culture, from their gods, from their, uh, you know, their economics there it was a completely holistic calling out uh and and then being called into a new relationship with with this god and i wonder if there is something we can also apply there to church in that there is a sort of sense that church is something you know we do on sundays and it's this religious experience but then we tend to either remain beholden by these other cultural gods that we can't let them we still want them to sort of have our allegiance you know Monday through Saturday or we even allow them to come you know slip into service you could make an argument that the consumerist mindset right of church is a failure to relinquish that hold that it has on our lives I've been I want to get your take on this like it seems to me that especially when it comes to culture, maybe we could even dare say politics, even though we said we weren't going to talk about politics on this show. Like the way that those things still seem to infuse a service. Does that make sense? Like when we think about church as a TED talk, the pastor tends to treat it as, hey, here are my hot takes on what's going on in the news. Uh, You know, I'm going to frame them in a 30 minute speech, but call it a sermon. Does that make sense? Like, that seems to me to be also a failure of recognizing what a what a church service is.
1: Yes. And it is reflective, sadly, of a greater phenomenon in culture at large where we go from institution to platform. And I think, for me at least in some ways, I think I viewed the service when I was younger as something of a platform. Uh, I grew up in a very Bible-based, grace-based church, so I'm, I'm thankful for that. But there is a real sense in which the it's viewed as a platform, a pageant, a as Edmund Clowney says, a spiritual talent show of sorts that people can come together and show off their skills. And that is like you would say that is that is kind of a syncretistic approach of how much of the the culture can I keep and how far is too far
0: <laughs> in a yeah. Right. You know the Bible is a book uh, spoken and written for people that are dealing with real life, right? Like it makes, it makes no exception about what it speaks into. And so you want to make sure that when you're, when we're preaching the word that we're, we're not failing to address every issue of the, of the Christian's life. And certainly that has to deal with how they engage with culture and, and, politics and the things that are around them but that seems to me to be a process of saying well what does scripture say and then applying it not what's going on in the news let me pick the the bible verses that talk about it and then deliver it there's there's a reverse ordering there that I think is wrong um, or maybe dangerous i I want to return back to something that you you mentioned because um, I think it's Another thing I'm seeing with a lot of the conversations about, you know, what does church look like in a post COVID experience? And we're sort of, you know, a couple decades, you know, a couple decades now past the time of the coffee house church. And we've spent the last few years, especially young people talking about, you know, I want a more liturgical service. I want a more traditional service. And I've seen that has been, you know, that's how we'll get people to come back to church post COVID is that really offering this new way of, of service, But you hinted and said that earlier that, you know, that's, that can be a very surface level thing. I was wondering if you could kind of dive into that a little bit more.
1: Yes, that's a really good question. I think we'll stick with our PCA example, I think only because it's one I'm most familiar with. But when looking at the service, if you look at the, the order of service in your, in, in your pamphlet or whatever that you're given at the beginning, and you look through it, there's a very particular order that is given there. And it's given for a reason. There's a reason that the sermon isn't first. There's a reason that you have the confession of sin before the pardon is mentioned. So the the liturgy is not there just to comfort people or to give some people like some habits to carry with them that hopefully they can cultivate throughout the rest of their week. It's that as we see in scripture, and again, this is from Exodus and it carries on throughout, throughout the Bible. There is an order of the way that God calls his people to himself and calls them to worship him. There's a re- you, know, you, have, you come in, there's the, there's the confession of sin, there's the pardon, and then you have the passing of the peace. Why? Because after we have been forgiven and united to Christ and to each other, we can then have fellowship with one another. So just as a small little cutout segment there, there's a reason that that the worship service is done that way, at least in the PCA context, and that is understood. I think for a lot of people, unfortunately, when they use the word liturgical, and that word is, a moratorium is about to have to be put on that word because of it's just.
0: It's getting up there with, uh, not to not to dismiss this, but in, and I still like it as a word, but it's getting up there with flourishing.
1: And narrative.
0: Narrative, yeah. Oh my goodness.
1: But it's like liturgical is really just, it, it has kind of lost its meaning at least in the reason that it's there in a worship service and turned into a pattern of habits. And in some ways it's like people have read Jamie Smith from a distance and not closely and thought that, you know, liturgy exists just to make us have habits throughout the week to follow. It's like, look, look yes, that, that is a result. We do think about things particularly and have a way that it shapes our minds. But it's not just because of habit formation. It is because this is the way that God has revealed the worship service to take place in his word to us. And so sometimes that people will just kind of grab little parts from here and little parts from there and throw together their own liturgical service because they like the way it looks and think it's pretty. It was like, hey, actually, if you, know, you gave it a little more thought, maybe maybe you wouldn't do it that way.
0: Yeah, I, I've heard people you know describe it as, well, it's really comforting to know that I'm doing this thing that you know the church has been doing for thousands of years and in a real sense that is true and that's good like that comfort is real right like that's one of the you know great things about when when the uh, epistles talk about the the continuity between old testament and new testament um, and the continuity between the church and israel is that this is an established thing and there's real comfort in that and at the same time we want to make sure that we're not advocating for sort of cheap nostalgia and oh this thing is old therefore i like it because that can be sort of a just as reactionary as hey we're not going to wear suits and we're going to have an electric guitar and we're not in the business of being reactionary we're in the business of understanding who god is how he has created us and how he's revealed himself to us um, and how we relate to him and i think that or what you've been saying is that you know the church service is a the way that we, that God reveals himself to us. And we learn fundamental truths about who we are and who he is. And that needs to be the defining feature of any conversation about, well, what does church post COVID look like?
1: And yes, we need to meet in person because there is community and fellowship there and we are a community of believers, but the community and fellowship that occurs when gathering together on Sunday is derivative of is a result of what God is doing in his people to make them his and his own. And so, look, I want to be around friends again and see people in large places. Yes. And I want that to happen on Sunday. Yes. uh, But I cannot lose sight of the fact that that happens because God has ordained and set aside Uh, a proper way for people to gather and be reminded of who they are in person. And, you know, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be difficult, I think, for people to make this return, to go from staying at home to going back uh, in person. But I think if we can stir the imagination, if we can stir the heart, if we can remind them that we are gathering in person because it is essential based on scripture and we receive the benefits of it, and we get to witness God at work among His people, and geez, just the honest, G Willers, <laughs> you know, if we could remember that, we look at a world that is broken and falling apart, and if we want to remember where victory takes place, it it takes place in many places, but it it certainly occurs every Sunday when the gospel is proclaimed and pushed forth, and the darkness is shunned, and and that is something that I think I want for us to remember. And I, and I hope that we can encourage each other as a body of believers.
0: For sure. Yeah. Well, I can't think of a better way to end uh, than on that. I mean, we're definitely going to be uh, staying on on top of what uh, churches start to do with as COVID-19 progresses and um, the shutdown continues. I mean, there's already a ton of developments. One thing that we didn't really get into, which I, I don't know if I feel really even prepared to dive into the whole complex uh, web that is the issue going on with John MacArthur's church uh, out in California and how it uh, decided to respond. And then, you know, the state's subsequent responses, but you know, these developments are going to continue happening uh, and we're going to see them uh, as the shutdown continues. And so I think it's just, it's just helpful to uh, know as you read those conversations, as you read those tweets, as you read these pieces, being able to discern what is the what is the framework of the church that this person is operating from? What are the certain what are the assumptions that this person has about what the church is and what it exists to do? Um, I think that'll be really helpful for Christians as we uh, come out of the pandemic, um, as we go back to in-person services. COVID's done anything; it's just disrupted how we typically operate. Well, with that, I think we're we're basically set. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow Will at Stockdale Will. I'm at R T Hassler. Visit MinistryToState.org, and we will see you guys again next week.